Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. We are 41 days until the election. Half of the country right now is in the process of voting. Half of our states. So let's talk about what is at stake in the next 41 days. So I use the word, the term fascism a lot. My family escaped fascism in Europe by the skin of their teeth. It is why I'm on this planet. It is why I am here right now. And I am very conscious of that story. And it's important for all of us to be conscious of our history, too. So this is real to me. And it should be real to you, too. Fascism isn't just another political insult. It is a system of governing that crushes liberty and puts the interests of the powerful few above the needs of multitudes. Sound familiar? And the scariest thing about it, when you look at history, is that people don't realize the danger until it is too late. It eases in. It creeps in. We can't let it happen here. So listen up. There is a real danger. We know this. And right now, the strongest defense, pretty much the only path at this moment that we have against fascism is to vote Donald Trump out of office. His re-election would empower his worst authoritarian instincts, which have already flexed. If you think that his first term was about destroying the independence of courts and press and universities and government agencies like the Center for Disease Control or climate, the EPA, or education, or his treatment of black communities, activists, and of course, undocumented people, you have no idea how bad it will be in a second term. We see what he's doing right now just to get to the election. We can't let that happen. Now I get how most of you are feeling. I really get it. I get that many of you can't stomach voting for Joe Biden. I get it. I get that you're angry at the Democrats. Boy, do I get it. And that's important anger to have, to channel, to use wisely, strategically. But don't drop out. There is so much other work to do right now, literally right now. Find candidates that you do support, candidates for state legislature or DA or Congress or Senate, particularly for Senate in states where Republican incumbent can be thrown out. And channel your frustrated, angry energy there. You can make calls and text. And of course, even if you don't live in the candidate's district, you can do these things. Many of these candidates are counting on a big turnout in a presidential cycle so that they win, so that we can change the course of history. Even if Biden himself is focused on pulling voters in the middle and Republicans and taking us progressives for granted, and we should be upset at Biden for that. But do you want your anger at Biden to defeat a progressive legislative candidate like the folks who are taking over the Rhode Island legislature? Remember, we need those legislatures right now to win redistricting. This is a census year. There is too much at stake. Put that at the center of your action in the next 41 days. This election is no slam dunk. We know it, even though the polls say it. We've seen this before. As Bernie Sanders said just the other day, this election is no slam dunk. I will say again that if it would help, if, if that, that would help if the Biden team would wake up and understand that the more excited we are the less likely this election gets drawn out in courts. We get that they want to pitch a big tent, but that doesn't mean that they should diss all of us who have hiked all the way up this mountain with them. They're scared of our power, but they need our power to win. 
So why should we back out now? Because our ideas for the future have a way of seeming better and better as you get closer to the future. With every platform we transform, with every county committee we take over, with every Cori Bush and Jamal Bowman and AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, there is no turning back. They want us to be unengaged, to fight amongst ourselves, to cancel each other out. They don't want us in the party. They want us outside the party yelling with little to no political clout. The fight against fascism has to include the fights to democratize. That is a small d, the Democratic Party. Okay, so here's some stories at the top of my feed today. Biden punches left again. Reporters asked Joe Biden Monday how he would make inroads with voters scared off by socialism. Quote, I beat the socialist, Biden replied. Look at my career. I am not a socialist, he said. Okay, Joe, look at your career. Support for foreign wars that destroy civilians' lives and fatten military budgets. Construction of the carceral state. Refusal to advocate for Medicare for all, an affordable vaccine during a pandemic. My view is Biden's making the perfect case for socialism. The flaws of capitalism have given us understaffed and poorly supplied hospitals, unaffordable housing, and unsustainable industry. We clearly need something better. Socialism, by placing production in the hands of the workers and ensuring a strong net of resources for all, will address our out-of-whack priorities. Now, we can't stop conservatives from yelling and from calling everyone left of Ted Cruz a socialist. They're doing it to Biden right now. But instead of playing along, Biden could begin uniting the party just by fighting the trope. And we can control our narrative by showing the public that a vote for socialism is a vote for a stable present and a sustainable future. Establishment Democrats should stop proudly declaring themselves anti-socialists. We need to make that a move nobody wants to make. It's the ideas of socialism that make this a big tent. So we have to remember that. We cannot respond to the conservatives' attacks. We have to embrace our people so we have that excitement around the ideas to win this election against fascism. Next up, Trump's austerity by red tape is starving children in the richest country on earth. Earlier this year, the federal government began a benefits program to provide groceries to families whose students normally depend on free or subsidized school meals. Because the pandemic has forced many schools online, many students across the country are facing food insecurity. The Agricultural Department has issued new regulations for the new school year, and predictably, they are using the regs to pressure schools to have in-person classes. Moreover, they have set a timeline, a very tight timeline to apply. The window for applying is too small, according to administrators. Not a good look for America as rates of childhood hunger reach a peak compared to the last few decades, which were already at a peak. Last up, uh, a big, big, big good news, a big step for ranked choice voting. Maine will be moving forward with ranked choice voting for the November presidential election between Trump and Biden. This follows a decision from the state Supreme Court to reject a Republican challenge to the voting method. 
Now, voters will have the opportunity to rank preferences in order to make sure that their second choice gains consideration and if the first choice is not viable. In other words, you can vote Green and then vote Biden. Get why the Republicans don't like it? Biden insulting Bernie. Uh, that's the last one I have to talk about today. Um, this really got under my skin because, you know, as we mentioned at the top, uh, Biden has taken us for granted. And so I just want to end with this because I know a lot of us are really angry right now uh, at Joe Biden at a moment when we really should be organizing and in lockstep and he should be really giving us the respect needed. I know it's tough. I, I really, I mean, I'm getting attacked online from every angle, and I know a lot of other hosts are getting the same um, from every angle. We're going to talk about that today on the show because this is a very tough moment. You know, we have tough decisions to make. We have to swallow our pride because there's really only one lane to defeat fascism. And when Joe Biden comes out, whether he meant to or not, and insults Bernie and socialism, you know, it's not the best strategy for him. But we have to overlook that because we shouldn't have to depend on Joe Biden to fight fascism. It's really going to be a group effort. So instead of thinking we are voting for Joe Biden or the neoliberals, this is really about us voting against fascism so that we can effectively take over the party and take over the future of this country. You know, we are going to be, it is going to be easier for us to take over the neoliberal party if we take on fascism first to actually kill the Republican Party. Then those neoliberals can move over, move over to whatever party they want to go to. But we have time on our side, meaning we are the demographics. Uh, the future of this country, those under the age of 40, are overwhelmingly progressive. They're overwhelmingly organized and diverse. And it's really widespread throughout this country. So they see the wave that's coming. And that's why they don't know how to respond. And that's why they cannot reject their worst instincts and focus on the prize, which is defeating fascism with a big tent. So every time they make a move like that, just remember, we are not doing this because we like Joe Biden. We are doing this because the first step to taking over the party for real, and I say this in all honesty, is to take out Donald Trump. We're not going to be able to protest. We're already seeing it. Uh, if Donald Trump continues to clamp down on protesters and use the Justice Department and use the militarized police state to take us out. There's nothing more that neoliberals want than to get rid of these activists that are pressuring them. So it's a tough moment. I hear you guys. I'm watching you online. Unfortunately, we lost the primary. And I think this is why it's really important for us to channel our energy into these local races because they are dependent. I know there are a lot of progressives who won their primaries and who are facing Republicans in state city, you know, in Long Island, in rural communities, and they are really depending on a presidential election to move voters to the polls so that they vote for them. So, you know, remember this isn't just about Joe Biden, this is about something much, much bigger, from local all the way to fighting and changing the course of history. We have a really good show today. We have Margaret Klein-Solomon, and later we have a panel with David Dahl and Jordan Zacharin. Uh, so stay tuned right after the break. We are up uh, to talk about climate and the fires ravaging the West with Margaret Klein-Solomon. back to the Nomi Key Show. The fires are taking over the West. I've been on the West Coast. I took a, 
a cross-country trip, as many of you know, because we were, we were airing on the road, and you, especially in Colorado, uh, the smoke was coming over the Rockies, and it was affecting, I mean, it's, it's, this is, this is un, I mean, we, we knew this was going to happen, we knew neoliberals didn't do much to fight this off, and now we are dealing with the consequences. There are folks being interviewed who have lost their homes two times, three times, and are looking to continue to rebuild in their communities. Uh, we're going to have a climate refugee crisis pretty soon, if it's not already happening in, in, in smaller ways that are undocumented. The stakes are very high right now in this election, and the stakes are high in the, high in the movement when there's just so much happening at once. So I thought... Uh, today was a very good day to bring on Margaret Klein Solomon. Uh, she is she leads the organizational strategy for the Climate Mobilization um, and Climate Mobilization Project. She's the founder and board director. Uh, she has helped catalyze a a worldwide climate emergency movement, and she's the author of Facing the Climate Emergency: How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. I mean, you also have a very good way of of giving folks the step-by-step -step strategies on how to take on climate change. So, Margaret, thanks for, for joining. Um, we had you on a few months ago when I had wildfires literally outside my door. Uh, and and here we are, you know, six months later, um, and it's only gotten worse. Thanks it, for having me. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could. I, there was some sort of... Um, you know, up uptick here, but it, it, I think the only one that we, the only thing that we can say is, uh, it seems like Democrats are watching now, sort of. <laughs> Some polls show uh, climate to be the top voting issue in the 2020 election among Democrats. So among uh, Democrats, of course. Yeah, yeah, only among Democrats, and the other polls show different uh, results. But it's certainly, it's certainly much increased in terms of the importance to the democratic electorate and i think the politicians are just kind of catching up really i mean well, 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 what's to catch up on i mean when you have gavin newsom who uh you know has been pro-fracking essentially um in the face of climate change i mean he hasn't been in office that long as governor it's not like the science just came out the science has been out for decades but really became mainstream for at least a decade and he's still you know, had no problem saying, all right, we're going to be a fracking state, despite organizers, you know, showing up at his doorstep. Yeah, I mean, it is true that the fossil fuel lobby and interests have thus far really outweighed uh, real climate policy on certainly the national and also state level. Uh, just today, Gavin Newsom said he was going to ban fossil fuel-powered cars by 2035 in California. <laughs> and I mean, and while that is more, they won't even be. It'll be obsolete by then. Ex ex <laughs> I mean, are we kidding? I mean, no, exactly. It's it's we're we're in this bizarre um, situation where what is necessary and what is politically feasible, at least in the minds of these politicians, is so far. But the public is coming rapidly to a better understanding of what is necessary. So that's what I mean that the politicians have to catch up is that, uh, I mean, I'm pretty cynical about politicians, right? Like they have, as you said, they've had decades, they've continually expanded the fossil fuel infrastructure. That includes Obama, right? Like that even Democrats are really, you know, what they call the um, 
all of the above energy approach, meaning yes, yes to fossil fuels, right? So th- that's been going on for decades. But now what's, what the, what's different is that Democratic politicians are starting to understand this as a political issue and an issue that threatens their power, like we saw with Ed Markey in uh, Massachusetts. Like, you, it, it's this is actually taking a ultra strong position on climate is actually politically advisable now. And, and that that is new. If you're in a state like California, like Massachusetts, like New York, where there's a progressive, I mean, I don't see uh, Joe Manchin turning anytime soon, even though I still think it would it, it would be fine. But uh, I think <laughs> yes, um, but things are changing so rapidly, both in public opinion and in just physical reality, like like these fires and floods and food and crop uh, destruction, and and that's happening all over the country. So I I think they're might be some uh, political opportunities anyway for some made for some whatever shifting. Yeah. Um, but but obviously yes, the Republican Party is currently a total wall of stopping policy. Um, my friend Josh Fox, uh, who, who I'm sure you know, he would label he he would tour around the country um, fighting fracking, and uh, he he has a house in the Delaware River Basin in, in northern Pennsylvania, western uh, eastern Pennsylvania, northeast, and he, um, you know, he lobbied uh, Delaware and Pennsylvania and New York. Uh, and he was actually able to move Joe Biden on on fracking because of this, because Joe Biden, you know, say what we will about him. Many say that he does he does react to some forms of pressure. Um, maybe it's just because he's a little bit of more of an old school politician. But what was really interesting was he said he was able to move conservatives because there's this population of conservative voters, like you said, uh, you know, the farmers who've been you know ravaged. Um, they called the Green Tea Party members. And they would show up and they would fight fracking in Colorado, in Kansas, in Oklahoma, in upstate New York, because their community, you know, had been affected and it was undeniable. Uh, I mean, that seems like a great strategy, right? Like if we want to actually push these lawmakers, especially those centrist Democrats who think that they have to like lean more conservative on certain issues um, to win, you know, why not team up with folks like that in rural communities? The climate emergency should be the most unifying thing that's ever happened to this country and to the world. Uh, as as others have pointed out, if this were an alien invasion causing all of these fires and floods and disasters, it would be we would treat it differently. We would say, oh, you know, all hands on deck. We need to fight back. We need to protect ourselves. But because um, well, for some psychological factors, but really importantly, because of the right-wing propaganda machine through Fox News and also Facebook, I, I mean, the the fossil fuel companies and the and the yeah the right-wing media have been extremely successful in uh, spreading their lies. So I, I would say that is 
the number one barrier right now to those kinds of coalitions happening is, you know, just again, the constant stream of lies, like in the fires right now in the West Coast, um, the right wing media is blaming them on arson and saying that Antifa started them. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's so it, like, if you're willing to kind of compromise your critical thinking, then you can go all the way down that road and, you know, you have your house burned down and still not face reality. So what do we do now? I mean, this is, this is almost, it's it's too overwhelming. I I, seeing the, the, the smoke in the sky, two States over from California was jarring. Like, you know, we couldn't see the mountains in Colorado. I mean, how, how do we in a voting year, mobilize around these issues if it's just I mean we've been doing this for so long and love the sunrise you know movement they're making great gains in terms of of pushing out challenges like Joe Kennedy and supporting great candidates who are supporting their mission but we have to move faster there's just no you know winning a couple of races in an election year amazing work it's got to be seismic. What is it going to take? You are so, this is, this is your wheelhouse. It's all about strategizing. It's all about the psychological uh, messaging of, of getting folks on board. What do you think is going to be able to shift this as fast? Uh, we need a collective awakening that, that we're all in danger and that if we don't immediately, uh, as soon as humanly possible, eliminate greenhouse gas emissions that it's you know we're just careening towards the apocalypse that so so spreading that uh basic information which is both an emotional and an intellectual uh message i think is can cannot be um overestimated how critical that is i don't i I don't see how it's going to be possible for us to launch the kind of uh, mobilization that we need to protect humanity and the living world without that, you know, consensus or, or close to it anyway. I, I mean, like, like in World War II, there were years of denial and isolationism before the attack on Pearl Harbor, and then the national mood changed overnight, and there was an understanding that actually we have to do this. It's not, it's not that we want to, is that there is no choice if we what we want is to to keep going and to to survive so so i think that that understanding is and 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 this puts me outside of uh the mainstream climate movement because uh you know their approach is still like we take one step and that's great and then we take another step and then we take another step and we get ever closer and we can give people a, a positive message you know focused on jobs and and i mean solving the climate emergency will create um, a huge amount of jobs. But at the climate mobilization, one thing we talk about is maximum fear, maximum hope, that that these are actually not in contradiction with each other, but that if we understand that the tra- our trajectory now is just, again, straight into the apocalypse. And if we want to survive, we need to transform everything. We need to transform our economy and our society and our energy system and our agriculture and you know, it's huge and it can be overwhelming, uh, but that's, you know, the the, the the first thing we need to do is face reality. Like, like as in, if you're, you know, an alcoholic, the, that's it's just the first step is to um, 
really look at what's going on. The the second thing that I want to say is we do need to elect Joe Biden and and get back Democratic control of the Senate. Um, uh, the climate mobilization is working on uh, get out the vote and voter protection uh, just because, yeah, I mean, if, if uh, Trump and the Republicans are elected again, I mean, it's so bleak. I mean, they're literally like, uh, you know, the EPA will be eliminated. I mean, it, it's basically eliminated as is. Uh, you know, fossil fuel industry owns so many aspects of our government, including the military industrial complex, which we're all very aware of. And all of these Republicans. I mean, it's I think what's what's so unreal to me. I mean, I remember like 10 years ago in the Obama era, uh, you saw these like fossil fuel executives, not all of them, but but a few who are starting to wake up to climate change and 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 started to acknowledge it and would talked about, you know, moving to different forms of energy. I don't agree with it, but there was a there was a psychological um, adjustment for people whose interests, more than anybody else, are in maintaining fossil fuel. And, and but they recognize that, like, obviously, if, if their oil rigs off the coast of Louisiana were hit by storms caused by climate change, it was going to affect their bottom line um, or Texas, you know, hurricanes or whatever. Um, but then Trump got elected and it was like, up, oh, that never happened. We're, we're right back where we are. We can now make maximum profits as much as possible. So, yes, I mean, Obama was a neoliberal and, and did, wanted to invest in fracking and did very little, you know, Paris Climate Accord. Great. <laughs> What's it going to do? Um, but the alternative is it's just like it's about immediate profits, immediate profits, immediate profits. So so with that being said, um, big, big lead in for that. The Paris Climate Accord, I mean, it doesn't make a difference at all. There's so much conversation You're talking about all these other organizations and their step by step. That's all Democrats seem to be talking about is going back to it. Yeah, that, right. The Paris uh, Climate Accord, the, the best thing you can say about it, which many, many people have, is that it's better than nothing. That it's you know that it's the first time that the all the nations of the world admitted that we need to do something. Um, but if you actually drill down on the Paris Agreement and the commitments in it, I mean, it's just nowhere. Again, I, I, we're we're at this situation of uh, political discourse here and reality just speeding away from it. So I, I mean, for me, I can't really get excited about agreements that even if fully implemented, would still lead to the collapse of civilization. So uh, should we rejoin the Paris Agreement? I guess so. I, I, um, one of my favorite authors, Paul Gilding, makes the point that I really think is important, is that when you look at the UN uh, climate process, it at verses, and Naomi Klein talks about this too, but versus the how we negotiate trade agreements, right? When when we started to move towards free trade and globalization. We didn't say, all right, well, first we need to get an international consensus about trade, right? No, we, we pursued bilateral and multilateral negotiations for countries that were like wanted to take part in that. So with, with climate, I mean, mean, yeah, just generally speaking, the idea of first we'll get an unanimous international agreement might not be like the best negotiating position for getting extremely strong action. Interesting. I mean, that's very fair to say, and and it's it's not going to do anything immediately, of course. But what about industries? I mean, 
what would it take to get some industries, especially using other countries uh, that that rely on these industries and are consumers of, you know, whether it's BP or other oil companies um, in Brazil, not a great example, but like other countries that may have more progressive leadership to push those levers of power the way that a union would. A union would go to allies first that have power and say, use your leverage so that we get all these other folks on board. And then the industries are shifted because, you know, California decides to ban something and suddenly that industry is is shocked. Yeah, I it, what you're describing is exactly right, and it is happening on to some limited level, not not enough. But uh, for example, uh, the climate mobilizations, uh, climate emergency campaign, which has led uh, more than 100 uh, or more than 1,700 globally uh, governments to declare a climate emergency, and some of them uh, have extremely strong follow-on policy, not not all, unfortunately. But so Berkeley, California, for example, because of community organizing, um, coalition building, and then local lobbying, they declared a climate emergency and then passed a ban on gas hookups in new construction. Okay, so if you build a a home or an office or whatever in uh, Berkeley, California, new development, it cannot have gas heating or gas powered washer and dryer or other appliances. So, uh, and this this gas ban for new construction then uh, immediately spread to like 20 cities in yeah. California and Massachusetts. So, and, and the gas industry reported being really shocked by this. They didn't, they didn't see it coming, right? So, so that kind of uh, citizens coming together, community organizations coming together, working with local government to pass new policies and and especially ones that directly attack fossil fuels. Um, not again, not just these. Oh, let's just add some solar to it or something yeah. kind of policies. Um, there, there are real victories happening through just power building and organizing. So it's a really good point. Um, can you, can you help? I, I, I learned this through my campaign, really, um, having great climate advisors. I, I ran for, for citywide office in New York, and uh, and there's been a great movement there in, in restricting the use of um, gas in, in buildings because it's the number one cause of emissions in New York City, not cars. I mean, of course, they contribute, but nowhere near. Uh, not banning plastic straw. <laughs> Uh, so, so can you like talk about some of these like the the, the stuff that's actually going to make a difference right now and worth putting our all of our energy into versus the stuff that's like great but not not really going to make a big difference when we're underwater. Yeah. So the number one thing I would say there, and this probably is not going to surprise your your listeners, but is to be political rather than individualistic. Meaning, if you can buy it, then that's not climate activism. So, I mean, you know, solar panels and a a Tesla or, you know, electric car or, you know, whatever, um, you know, clean kind of personal infrastructure you can have and stopping using plastics and whatever, that's all fine. Vegetarianism, that's all, that's all fine. I do some of that. It's, it's fine. It's not politics and it's not going to protect humanity in the living world. No chance. Right. So, and, and unfortunately that is still the basically the main way that people think about environmentalism or climate activism is about me as a consumer, 
um, and purifying my consumption. But but we are so much more than consumers. We actually live in a semi-democratic society, and we that that we are the people. We can uh, change the way our government and economy and energy system and agricultural system work. So we need to do that. And you, there's work to be done there at every level, uh, ranging from. Yeah, I mean, really every level, local, even community, local, state, national, international. So uh, it doesn't, I mean, to, to yeah, to fi find your place in the movement and, um, and go from there, build power together. Um, before we wrap up, wasn't this by design in the, in like the late seventies, early eighties, like, or maybe even earlier that, that they, the fossil fuel industry or, or whoever it was, was trying to get us to like focus on recycling rather than yes. you know, taking them out. Yes. Uh, yeah. BP put a lot of money into the calculate, calculate your carbon footprint campaign. I mean, yeah. this is, this has been, this is, has been and continues to be one of fossil fuels. Number one talking points uh, is well, you know, is blaming consumers. Well, you all use fossil fuels. So how could, how could we possibly transition away from this? And it's like, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really worked. It's really made, I mean, uh, and different institutions like universities and city governments have picked up this talking point and they say, well, we, you know, we, we can't divest in fossil fuels because all, all of our students, uh, you know, drive cars or whatnot. And, and it's just, it's a really sad way that the fossil fuel industry has off, try, attempted and in many ways successfully offloaded responsibility for, uh, you know, addicting us to this energy source, spreading misinformation about it, utilizing billions of dollars for political lobbying and misinformation, and then blaming us. Right. No, I mean, it's, there's, there's so much to talk about here. I have like a million more questions, including one next time you come on, hopefully we can talk about just their psychology and how they, they permeate our minds. I mean, you mentioned universities. I immediately thought of all the studies that they pay for in which they're later cited, uh, of course, because these institutions are relying on money. But Margaret, um, Margaret Klein-Solomon, you are amazing. I, I really appreciate your work every time you come on. Uh, check out her book. Her, her book is called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. She's also a psychologist, so she brings in some of her, uh, her training um, and her background to, to convincing folks how to mobilize. So thank you for your work, and um, hope we have a better path to fight after November or whenever so. they determine it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Margaret. All right, up next, we have our panel with the one and only David Dole. And Jordan Zacharin is back for another uh, a panel coming up next after the break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. For our lively panel, we have the one and only David Vidal, the host of Rational National uh, in Canada, where I am soon going to be living. Uh, <laughs> 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 and Jordan Zacharin, who is who runs the Progressives Everywhere newsletter, and he is a reporter and editor with The Observer. Guys. All right, first How's off, David. Yes, yes. <laughs> David, um, how's what are the real estate costs right now in Canada right now? <laughs> uh, it's, it's always going up. I mean, it's not great. Uh, 
but I got to say, look, I've, I report on this every day. I, I report on what's happening in the U.S. Um, it's, it's my main focus, though. I talk about Canada a lot as well. But clearly, God, I hope Trump loses. Um, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm going to have to bone up on my immigration knowledge because <laughs> I'm getting a lot of questions now <laughs> from a lot of Americans. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure I can help you, uh, but it's, it's. Can you sponsor me at least, please? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> no guarantees, though. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, which is, you're, you're in Toronto. We could see right across. I'll just swim across Lake Erie. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Totally you go. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, wait, is, and I promise we'll move on from this. I was, <laughs> Sam Cedar and I uh, once had a conversation. This was before COVID. It was crazy. And he was telling me about how he's a little, he's a little bit of a prepper. A little, a little bit. Um, people know this about him. He's a survivalist, right? And I said, oh, you know, I have, I grew up on this, like, basically rural land in in outside of buffalo 20 acres just like nothing around and i said well that's where i'm gonna always escape and he goes no no no, that's gonna be too close to the refugee camps with a straight face and i said what refugee camps he goes you know everyone's gonna be going to the fresh water near canada and they're all gonna be trying to get to canada <laughs> he said with a straight face like okay he thinks a few steps ahead that's smart that's smart ah, he was brilliant <laughs> brilliant he shut down that studio like the second you know it was like oh, in yeah. february no um, Jordan, hi. <laughs> hey, I remember in 2004 when, before Bush got elected, everyone said, I'm going to go to Canada if it happens. And he did. Now I think it, you know, you're almost lucky that uh, there's a big there's a big stoppage on the you know, immigration in there because otherwise you might find a lot of Americans knocking on the door uh, if this election does not go well. Exactly. Yeah. Our border has been closed for, I mean, since almost the beginning of the pandemic now. And um, I mean, because of the virus. And it's likely going to be uh, blocked up until the election. And I'm just... I'm curious, is it ever going to be opened back up? <laughs> I mean, getting to the point now, if it gets really bad, uh, I, I'm not really sure what to expect. I did not realize that we're, so, so Americans can't go to Canada right now unless there's... Yep. Just, I mean, just for a second, we should just take a moment to recognize that. That that would be like the news of the year oh, prior yeah. to Trump. Yeah. yeah. COVID's going to be entirely yeah. gone and they're still going to be like, you know what? Let's play it safe. No Americans right now. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, um, I, I, I want to start off with the news that's really getting under my skin right now. Um, at a time when Biden should be building the best coalition possible, having as much excitement as possible because we could potentially go to the courts if we don't have a large turnout in this election so that it doesn't come down to a bunch of, you know, right wing justices moving it up to the Supreme Court. Biden decided, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to punch down and attack socialism. Uh, he, of course, said it was asked. Uh, we talked about this at the top. Uh, he was asked on Monday how he would make inroads with voters scared off by socialism. And he said, quote, look at my career. I'm not a socialist. Of course, you know, I beat the socialist attacking Bernie Sanders. And this is after Bernie Sanders has really gone above and beyond um, campaigning for him and talking about what's on the line here. What do you think it's going to take to wake this party up? this moment when like you know he's not saying anything and then what he does say is like screw you guys and your socialist ideas David. biden could have easily pivoted uh he could have just said hey me and bernie you know we had a race we disagree on a lot but it's important we all come together now and uh, get out trump he could have just done that but he had to go and go after bernie sanders uh, which is just uh, obviously stupid strategically i don't think the democratic party is going to learn they're gonna they have to be 
the the people in power in the party have to be voted out of power, be it you know uh, Pelosi, uh, Schumer, whoever it is in the, in leadership. Um, but at the same time, I think it's important that we don't get offended by this. I mean, we know who Joe Biden is. If Joe Biden was actually trying to pretend uh, to be something that he's not, trying to be a democratic socialist, would any uh, would any of us actually believe him? I don't think so. So we have to acknowledge Biden is who he is, and that right now the focus is Donald Trump and to get out Donald Trump and just really ignore what Biden has to say at this point. And then hopefully once Biden wins and he's uh, he's in, then that's when the real fight begins. And unlike Barack Obama, there is no hiding at this time. Uh, Biden's not running on hope and change. And there is already a built-in movement on the left that is ready to to fight him once he wins. And I think people have to realize that. And this is also the perfect time right now to dump uh, a pandemic and an economic crisis onto a democratic, a, a neoliberal democratic party and show the masses of people that, hey, look, neoliberalism isn't enough. You're not going to have Medicare for all. You're not getting a UBI. But here, there are people on the left, not just on YouTube or on, on uh, occasionally on television, but also in Congress, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, going to be uh, uh, Cory Bush, uh, Jamal Bowman. So people actually fighting for your best interests. And we're going to have that debate. I'm looking forward to that debate. I am tired of fascism. I'm tired of where this Trump administration is leading to. And if uh, I've just been getting a little more depressed as the days go by, because I am worried, even if Biden wins, that Trump's going to try something to win, to, to try and steal this election. And it's, people have to be aware. You have to get out and vote. Yeah. Jordan, um, it's it just seems like a poor calculation at this point. But uh you know, I think what what David said just now about having the organization this time around in a way that Obama, you have to remember, we're old enough to remember, Obama had his own organization and then he took it to the DNC and then starved it. He was like, cool, I built this movement and now I'm going to kill it. I'm in office. Have fun, guys. I'm going to lose 1,200 seats. But this time around, we've got the movement that we organized, you know, helpful that Bernie Sanders ran. Do you think that that movement is enough um, from day one of, of whichever administration that we're faced with? You know, had it not been Biden, had it been another Democrat who's more moderate, you know, I think that the big deal is that there are progressives on the left who are organized, who are very angry at Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi for already saying, we're not going to try that hard to stop. Trump's Supreme Court nominee. I think it's becoming real, like obvious in real time that they're saying, you know what, maybe we won't pack the courts, maybe we won't stop the nominee. At the same time, they're just begging and begging for more and more money. Over $200 million has been raised on Act Blue for Democrats in the last three, four days. I saw, I saw it coming in nonstop on my email because of the fundraising we do. People are going to want something for that money. A, they're doing it because they want to stop Trump's nominee. And B, they want Democrats to do big things. They're not right. they're not giving so much money because they want things that kind of stay the same. And so there's going to be a big movement, not only just socialists, but people who are maybe they were moderates, but they lost their jobs. I mean, there are 30 million people who are officially unemployed as of like last week. Many more than that who are underemployed. 27 million people lost their health care because of losing their job this year. And there are already 27 million people who didn't have it. There is mm -hmm. such a huge deficit of people who have money right now. People are really struggling. And you would think that appealing to those people would be a winning strategy. You know, we think about even the moderates are running on a public option. They're running on expanding Obamacare. That's what they're, you know, fear-mongering, and right, rightfully so. They're fear-mongering that the Republican judiciary will repeal Obamacare, or Trump in a second term will repeal Obamacare. That's not a great program, but it's like the smallest, tiniest, like, notion towards a socialist program, right? You know, some 
sort of uh, you know helping out people with healthcare. That's the most po popular program in the country, right? Along with Medicare and Social Security. If Democrats would own that, they would have an entire generation of people who are loyal. And when you mentioned the Obama organization, he put that together so he could win. There is no one person leading this organization now, and that's why it's going to stay intact. That's right. Um, so speaking of that, uh, Trump is 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 sort of an open enabler of austerity. He campaigns on it. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys saw the ad the other day. I forgot the name of the woman uh, who's who her campaign ad is comparing her to being worse than Attila Hun. Uh, so this is the kind of party we're dealing with right now. Republicans are are campaigning like they're Attila the Hun. I mean, just waiting for Mussolini to come out and, and show up in Trump's ads. Um, so, so you've got the Attila the Hun, Mussolini austerity party, open austerity party, and then you have the Democrats who are it's like quiet, hidden austerity. Uh, Trump is is forcing schools to open up. They don't. They've been severely underfunded. They're not. They're the ventilation uh, in these schools. You know, they're not set up for for COVID by any means. In New York City, uh, which is pet, the, the the school system has been cut uh, for the last. I mean, for the last two decades, but. Governor Cuomo has been uh, at war, essentially, with teachers unions and has been propped up by charter schools. So, you know, we have this crisis now in our school system that's just like out there in our faces, just like, you know, the healthcare industry. And Democrats just like are sitting there. And the number one givers to the Democratic Party are the teachers unions. So at what point are we going to say, like, are you, okay, you listen to your donors, but you listen to some donors? Like, what is it going to take for you to actually support public education? I mean, David, you live in a country where you don't have charter schools. Yeah. Uh, I mean, education is definitely, it's, even during COVID, though, I noticed a lot of the similarities in terms of trying to just get back to normal. And when there is no normal, like right now, uh, we are seeing, we are beginning to see a, a second wave in Canada. And this is while uh, during a time where we are going back to school, kids are going back to school. Um, there has been some, uh, you know, stipulations put in place in terms of uh, class sizes and uh, trying to socially distance and, and, and that sort of thing. But we are seeing an increase in cases now. And still, it's, it's the same approach. And when it comes to I mean, the Democratic Party listening to teachers unions or unions in, in, in general, uh, it's something where as long as the unions keep supporting the Democratic Party, I'm not sure they really they have any reason to change their approach. As long as unions have no other party to go to, if all they have to hang on to is a Democratic Party and there is no real ability for them to use their power otherwise, say through maybe a general strike or something that, that puts some pressure on the party, then I don't see how the strategy there changes from democratic leadership. Jordan, what do you think? I mean, teachers are independently organizing all around the country and, and unions have latched on, thankfully, but uh, it's not coming from top. You know, I just want to say, first of all, Jeff Bezos is now opening schools, preschools for kids in towns where, uh, you know, he's starving them of uh, tax dollars and gentrifying everywhere. So we can just, we're cool. Jeff Bezos is going to save us, our education system. So don't worry about it. Uh, but really... <laughs> You know, you, David made a good made a good point that teachers continue to support the Democratic Party, and Democratic Party continues to you know not really help them out too much. You know, they'll run an education, they'll fund it more than Republicans, but they're still supporting you know corporate charter schools, yada yada. What I'm seeing uh, on the state level and the local level is a lot of teachers now running for office, and it started in 2018 where a lot of teachers went on strike, right? In Arizona, West Virginia, and a whole lot of places, they started running for office or getting really involved in the politics, anyways. Now, a lot of teachers are really running. In Arizona, you have Christine Marsh, who was a teacher of the year there and really led the strikes uh, where they had 
you know, they made some big progress there in very what was very red state at the time. She's running and she's in a very, very tight race. So if they're going to continue to support the Democratic Party, what we can hope is that they kind of infiltrate and remake the Democratic Party, because that's kind of, you know, to some degree what uh, everyone on the left is trying to do. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, there's a couple. I mean, even legislative seats uh, in New York, there's a, a couple of each of Bob Bowman, of course, is a principal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine Pellegrino, who flipped a seat, uh, an assembly seat just right after four months after Trump got elected in 2017. She was elected in a special election. She flipped a seat 40 points. She's running for state Senate now, much closer race, uh, much more Democratic. So um, you got to pay attention to those races because that brings in a whole other energy, a whole other set of priorities. Um, guys, you know, with our final five minutes, uh, let's game out. What, what, do you, what do you think is going to happen in the next 40 days when it comes to a Democrats ex- exercising any leverage in the face of the Supreme Court fight? Um, Jordan, American. <laughs> well, you, first. you know, I, they've, they've basically said that, you know, they are not going to shut down the government. You know, they've already come. They just agreed to a deal to continue funding it. Uh, Chuck Schumer does not seem to want to use a unanimous consent. In fact, Democrats continue to let Trump judges be confirmed for whatever reason. I think they're going to do what they always do, which is use outrage to raise money hmm. and hope they win an election. And then, you know, get people all excited about expanding the court. And Dianne Feinstein, who is you know, 87 years old and very not in favor of expanding the court, will squash that. Now, I'm not hopeful that anything is going to stop this nominee. I think that you see like Mitt Romney and you see Cory Gardner and all these people saying they're going to vote for them. Cory Gardner must know that his days are done. It almost hurts the Democrats that they're winning to such a degree. Cory Gardner has no reason to, to cross a conservative movement at this point. Right. He's going to be looking for a lobbyist job, right? Like, why would, he, why would he stop at this point? Why would he stop Trump from doing that? He'd become a villain versus a hero. Right. You know, we're not going to see Republicans vote against them. And unless there's this groundswell of angry Democrats calling in and demanding some sort of even just symbolic effort and or just stop giving money for a little while. You know, maybe there's a day where people just stop giving to Act Blue. I don't see the party. You know, I don't see the party. There's no reason for them. They've, wow. they've raised 200 plus million dollars. Why would they stop? They're getting reinforced by people because they're telling them, oh, we're going to use every tool we have at our disposal. Nancy Pelosi saying we have arrows in the quiver, except you know, the arrows that would actually work. Um, so it's up to us to some degree to stop sending in money constantly. And I hope that it dries up for maybe a few days, a few weeks, and there's some concerted effort to tell them, you're not going to disappoint and lie to us and still get our money. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Jordan. I, I don't see the Democratic Party, uh, or at least Democratic Party leadership, uh, trying to do anything. Um, I see AOC attempting to you know, lead a fight uh, and try and obstruct uh, this, this nominee. I, I would like to see them try and impeach Bill Barr. Uh, my understanding is that that could delay the process of a Supreme Court nominee. Um, so that should be their go-to right now. And they have enough of a, I mean, you know, if the tables were turned, Republicans would be doing everything possible to stop this. And Democratic Party leadership just, just lays down, uh, they lay down and take it. And, they, and it helps, as Jordan points out, that they keep raising money. And that I believe uh, when um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, it was one of their biggest fundraising days. Yep. So like when, when they see that kind of reaction, it doesn't give them a whole lot of incentive to to really try and fight. Uh, but hopefully Democratic voters or um, or people that intend to vote for the Democratic Party uh, this year uh, speak up and and try and consolidate their voices and, 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 and speak out and, and really call for some action. I mean, it's it's people were giving money because they thought it was going to come down to a vote and they and and potentially after the election and 
you know, supporting people like Mark Kelly or, or any of the other uh, Democrats, Marquita Bradshaw even. I mean, we're not talking about just the tight races. We're talking about folks that, that could, with a wave, potentially shock the world. Um, but, you know, false advertising, that's not happening. <laughs> I want to thank you. Go ahead, go ahead, Jordan. I was going to say, it's, you know, it's arcane parliamentary procedure, right? There's not a lot of coverage of that. People don't have great right. civic education. And so unless you know that stuff, and we can explain it, but it's tough. And it only happened, I mean, especially in, in, in this type of moment, uh, it only happens, you know, a couple times a lifetime. So uh, Jordan Zacharin, David Dole, love you guys. I'm so happy you could make it. Hope to have you back on soon. Thanks really for having appreciate me on. it. Stay safe in, in Canada and, and New York, you know, the, the anarchist capital of the world. Stuff <laughs> <laughs> out here. Yeah, stay right. safe. <laughs> Special thanks uh, to uh, Mikey Kingston, Michael Gelfand, and the Environmental Coffee House, ooh, for the Super Chat donations. The Environmental Coffee House asked me if I would be a guest on the Climate Change Channel. Absolutely. That sounds awesome. Can you imagine if we had Climate Change Channel on cable news? That would be Every single day of the week, people be educated. It's awesome. Uh, RelRel27 says, you don't have to be programmed to vote for Biden. He's garbage, yes, but he's better than Trump, and we can beat Biden easier. Perfect. Don't let your moral high ground stance, bl moral high ground stance blind you from the fact that Trump can't win. Heather Thompson. Hi, everyone. I added Nomi to my Patreon list last night. Thank you. Now I will try to give her a like every day. Make sure I have to remember to remind you guys to click those likes because that's how the algorithm. I learned this stuff from David. David told me all about this, told me about cameras, told me about microphones. He told me how this industry works. So make sure to click likes um, and get in that chat. And special thanks to Harvey K. The one and only, always in the chats. I love it. We have like celebrities in our chats. That's that's the kind of show that we are. Um, and of course, Bob the Mod for keeping the chat room honest. We will see you tomorrow. Stay safe, be well, and make some phone calls for your favorite uh, progressive candidates out there. Calls, texts, they need your help. Uh, they're depending on this, this presidential election to win. So we need to keep that excitement up so that we can defeat fascism. All right, thanks guys. See you tomorrow.